0: Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on C-Jam's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on C-Jam 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit.
1: Hello and welcome to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Fiona Kearney will be telling us a little bit about TROT, So, can you tell me a little bit about TROT?
0: Yeah, it's a, uh, well, TROT stands for uh, Therapeutic Riding Association of Ottawa Carlton. And uh, we are a charity which provides therapeutic riding for um, children, youth, and adults in the Ottawa area. Um, Yeah, we've been established for 46 years now.
1: So... In terms of therapeutic riding itself, can you tell me how it might benefit a person with a disability?
0: Yeah, so uh, the basis of therapeutic riding is um, in the movement of the horse. So when a horse is walking along, um, when you look at the hind end of the horse, the hind end of the horse moves in the same three-dimensional pattern as our hips do when we're walking. So same up-down, side-to-side, front-to-back movement. So, uh, when you sit somebody on a horse, their body is made to move in the same way as if they were walking. So, that can have all sorts of um, benefits um, to uh, physical health um, and strength, um, building balance, muscle strength, that's kind of the thing.
1: So uh, I'd imagine there's also a mental health benefit for those with behavior conditions and things like autism.
0: I can mention a bit about that. Okay. Yeah. Did you get all the part about the movement of the horse and everything?
1: Yes, that part. Uh, yeah. came through.
0: Okay, so if I talk about now the benefits of it? Yes. Yeah, okay, all right. So, um, so the benefits of... Therapeutic riding um, are, um, well, the physical ones that come from the movement, so uh, a relaxation of tight muscles, an increase in balance and core muscle strength, um, sharpening of high hand-eye coordination, Um, but there are also other benefits that you get from taking part in a riding lesson, and learning a new skill, so improving the social skills, Um, you can work on um, self-confidence and self-esteem. So there's there's very broad, wide-ranging benefits.
1: So, so are there any challenges in matching a rider with an appropriate program, getting them on the right horse and uh, finding the right adaptation so they can benefit?
0: Yes, for sure. It's, um, it's often a work in progress. We don't get it right the first time. Um, but what we do is we get the new rider in for an assessment and we look at uh, um, the way that their body moves when they're sitting on the horse. And we can uh, match them up with a horse that has the movement they need. So some horses. They have more of an up-down movement or forward-back movement or side-to-side. And we can match that to the needs of the client. Um, Behaviour as well. Some clients are naturally very quiet and some are more active. So we can match them with a horse that will cope with their level of activity. Um, yeah, so... There's, there's certainly some challenges in matching the right horse, and as I say, we don't always get it the right time, right the first time. Um, and then when you talk about adapt, adaptive equipment, um, we have a wide range of adapted equipment um, that we can call on. Probably most varied is the type of reins that you can use. Um, so we have reins that are adapted for people with. Um, challenges with grip, um, and we have special handles that we can put at the front of the saddle that can help assist with um, balance problems. Um, We can use elastic bands, for example, to keep the rider's foot in the stirrup. So we have lots of very inventive ways of uh, getting around any issues that we might have.
1: So in terms of the grip adaptations, How do you typically work those? Uh, They make it easier for someone to take hold of the reins.
0: Right. So for example, somebody who might have a problem with grip, um, instead of holding the rein uh, as you would with it passing through your hand, um, we can attach a handle to the rein so that all they have to do is hold on to the loop of the handle. Or we can uh, attach a big ball, a felt ball or pom-pom, and uh, then the rider can cut the hand around the Um, pom-pom. What else do we have? We have um, reins which are called ladder reins, Um, so those are specially designed for riders that only have the use of one side of their body, Um, so they can hold the reins in one hand and make the range longer and shorter as they need to. Um yeah, um, uh, if you Google adaptive riding aids, then uh, you can often find pictures of these things.
1: So, in your time with Trot, is there any success story that stands out for you?
0: Yeah, um, many. I, I've been at Trot for 22 years now, so I've seen a lot of riders. Um, I would say that the ones... A couple that I really remember are ones where the riders have been able to transfer what they've learned in the riding lesson into their everyday life. So, for example, um, we had an adult rider whose parents reported that since he started riding with us, his walking gait had improved, his stamina had improved, and that resulted in... um, his carers being able to help him um get dressed more easily he could take more um uh so yeah so it helped him with that but also he was able to um go out more places with the family because he just had that much more um stamina um and uh another example is um a young man that was riding with us and uh, he had a trampoline at home, and he couldn't use the trampoline because he couldn't find a way to get back down from it. And uh, what his mother did was take the method that we use for dismounting from the horse, taught him how to get down from the trampoline the same way, and that opened it all up to him and uh, became his favorite, favorite thing to do at home.
1: So... If you could send any message to the community about the need for programs such as yours to benefit the disability community, what would you say?
0: Um, I would say that therapeutic riding um, reaches a very wide range um, of challenges and can assist in a wide range of challenges and also a wide age range so our youngest riders are three years old and we don't have an upper age limit so um, we, we reach a large sector of the community um, or are able to. Um, at Trot here we reach out to around 80 families a year. We have uh, 40 riders that come each week Um, at the moment. That's reduced because of the COVID situation. Usually we have around 65 to 70 riders a week. So, uh, yeah. Does that answer your question?
1: Absolutely. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Yep. This next segment of our show is a post-dated one, so some of the events referred to may already have passed. In this segment of our show, Karish Maharaj will be telling us a little bit about sitting volleyball. So, can you tell me a little bit about sitting volleyball?
2: Well, sitting volleyball itself hasn't been around very long, uh, here in Canada at least. Our, our main work up to it was around the 2012 Olympics in London, um, when we started to really generate interest in the sport um, here in Canada. Um and uh, in Ontario, in general, which is which is where we are, uh, um, it didn't really pick up e- even until after that, till working to Rio, uh, because there was no systems or structures in place for it. Um, but in general, sitting volleyball is an arm of uh, or another discipline of volleyball um it was really founded to help persons with disabilities play the sport um and we use it more for an inclusive uh way so you could have a disability or don't have a disability we don't even go with the olympic classifications for disabilities um as well um and it's played on a lower net it's just like a meter high off the ground uh just like regular volleyball is played six on six with a liberal um The main thing is your your bum has to stay on the ground um, while you're playing. You're not allowed to to raise it up. That's considered a fault. But the rest of it is pretty much like regular volleyball. It's uh, very fast-paced and and equally as interesting to watch as it is to play.
1: So for someone with a disability who doesn't get a lot of sporting opportunities, I'd imagine this is a great outlet for them to have a chance to work within an ability range.
2: Uh, yes, very much so. Um, uh, basically, we adapt rules to, to suit any participant playing, whatever their their skill level is, um, if they have a disability, um, whatever that disability is. We try to keep it a lot more inclusive than, than the stuff you'll see on TV, um, really because inclusion is, is the key word. And if you want to make it inclusive, you really have to adapt, right? Um, so it is really a, a, a good... Um, a good sport for for anyone with a disability to get into whatever they classify their disability to be honestly um what we encourage persons to do though is actually to try more than one sport um as in you can play sitting volleyball and we'll, we'll, if you come to like a city volleyball session you'll likely do not only sitting volleyball you'll do something else you may have a chance at wheelchair basketball or bocce or you name it like it's a multi-sport experience too because um What we found from most of our participants, specifically the ones with a disability, is that they're really not in this to to go to the Paralympics. They're in this for the social side of it, for the health-related side of it, for the
1: community side of it. So in terms of the modifications or adaptations you mentioned, uh, are there any pieces of adapted equipment or uh, adapted rules for the sport itself?
2: For adapted equipment... Um, it's really just lower nets and a smaller court size, um, at the international and at the Volvo canada level, so the national level. Um, for us, we've made the court even smaller than their small. So even smaller than a badminton size, instead of having six on six, we encourage three on three or four on four, because if you're trying to do a program with disabilities alone or an inclusive program, it's really hard to find people to commit to this sometimes. Uh, and it's also better for them playing where they get more touches with less people on the court. Um, so that's the main adaptation. The other thing is we allow people to hold the ball a little bit longer to serve from inside the court versus outside the court because of their, their, um, kind of skill level or disability level or confidence level. Um, so those are the main adaptations. Um, We also have referees, like if we're doing it in a formal competition, that still follow
1: those even to our competitive level. So, how do you reach out to the disability community to let them know that this sport is an option for them?
2: That has been a journey for us, actually. Um, It's not been easy. Um, It's not like there's this large disability network that goes out to everyone. What we've found is... uh, when we first started, we went to adults because adults were coming to us asking, is this something that you guys will help us pursue? And we said, well, yeah, we'd love to do this. Cool, let's get a nucleus. But there were only so many adults that we could get in contact with that had access to gyms, that had access to other people to play. So instead, in 2017, we took another approach. We started going to children's rehabilitation centers and high schools that had uh, inclusive PE programs. And that grew us from, from having, you know, 13 people in the province playing regularly to like seven, and I would say seven slash eight, because one is uh, a fairly new one, seven slash eight um, teams that play all the time now. Um, that uh, once schools reopen for the school's part, it's, it's part of their, their uh, PE programming. Um, they they take part in our competitions and and that's where where we are now. That's how that's how we have reached out to rehab centers um, and to high schools um, and that's really been up to twenty twenty. We have a new arm of it where we are working with uh, war veterans um, through a through a, a, a arm of the uh, armed forces, a leg uh, called um, wounded wounded so wounded warriors. That's where it is, wounded warriors. Um, they actually help us um, in terms of fielding teams for the last Invictus games, which were held here in in, in Toronto, Um,
1: and uh, they just wanted to expand the program. So, those are the mechanisms. In your time with the sport itself, has there been any success story that stands out for
2: you? It depends on what you call a success story. I would say the kid who has never, and multiple kids in this case, who have never been able to play on any team at all, Um, being able to participate in the 2018 uh, Ontario Paralympic Games on a team with a team t-shirt, with their parents and grandparents and friends and community cheering them on. Um, I would say that's a success story. I'd also say a kid uh, who saw the program happening, uh, already played on his high school regularly able volleyball team um, and also played some club volleyball too, saying, hey, I want to join this. And within a year being on the national team, and his name is Nassif Chowdhury, um, joining the national men's team and playing in the last qualifiers, um, just at 18 years old, uh, the youngest person to play that sport in our country at the national level, I would say that's a success story. Um, but I would say my favorite has been
3: just our general management of inclusion for persons with disabilities
2: in the sport of volleyball and through sitting volleyball. And the recognition we've been getting pretty much from all angles by amplifying the voices of the participants. Um, and what, what have been those benefits? Well, we've had more um, people donating money to help the sport. We've had more participants, which is obviously great. We've had better quality of competitions. We have people hosting competitions, so we don't even have to host them. This. I mean, it's completely out of our hands. Even better. Um we even, we even got grants from the, the Canadian Paralympic Foundation, from Jumpstart, um, Canadian Tire Jumpstart, uh, from the Canadian Paralympic Committee, and most recently from the Ontario um, Para Sports, uh Foundation to help us build um, not just this grassroots level that of participation but to move into 2021 2022 the high performance level will be the first time that that's happening in any province anywhere in canada for sitting volleyball so i would say multiple success stories really
1: like thank you for taking the time out to do this but if you can stay on the line for a sec that'd be great sure no problem handy link will be right back after these commercial messages so stay tuned
0: C-GEM listeners, looking for more ways to connect with c programming? Try streaming c Jam through iHeartRadio. Listen online, download the iHeartRadio app, or use your smart speaker. Okay, Google, play c Jam on iHeartRadio. No matter where you are, experience c FM on higher ground.
1: Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Karish Maharaj told us a little bit about sitting volleyball, and Fiona Kearney told us a little bit about trot. In this segment of our show, Nicholas Riopil will be telling us a little bit about Sun Peaks. So, can you tell me a little bit about Sun Peaks?
3: Yeah, uh, like the village itself. Um, yes, so we're uh, a village of about 800 people living here full time. I'd say it's about 15,000 bed, though, for like tourists and uh, weekly uh, weekend visitors and stuff. Um... I'm more referring to. Log, uh, a, me.
1: I'm uh, more referring to the uh, the adaptive uh, aspects.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, our program, yeah, it started in, back in 2008. I uh, was implemented by a couple locals here that basically, um, you know, they would see. So basically, how it started is uh, Dick Taylor, one of our uh, original founder. In 2008, we'd see uh, school groups coming up, and there was always this one uh, disabled child right, that was part of the school group, and, well, that child didn't get to go on the hill like every other kid, and and he has himself. It's like, well, it shouldn't be that way, right? Um, So then that's how the program started, just really grassroots with a handful of volunteers. They got together, started it, got a non-for-profit license and so on, and then... uh, yeah, slowly, bit by bit, the program has grown to be what it is today. So today we have about 130 members that come back yearly. We're seeing growth every year. Even in, during this COVID year, we saw some growth uh, in member numbers. So that was great. Uh, yeah. Um, at the moment, we're only focusing on uh, snow sports. So snowboarding, skiing, alpine skiing. Um and although that's what our focus is right now, as the mountain here, like the Sun Peaks Resort, is developing itself to be more of a four-season mountain resort, we're kind of following these steps as well. And, uh, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be upgrading to summer,
1: uh, some summer adventure here in the near future. So, how do you go about reaching out to the disability population to let them know that these sports are available to them? Yeah, I see that's a great question. Um,
3: I mean, we're part of a bigger organization called uh, CADS, so Canadian Adaptive um, Snow Sports. So these guys, it's kind of an umbrella organization uh, for the whole country. Um, so they represent um, basically the adaptive snow sports in the whole country, right? So if you go to Quebec, it's going to be the same, and Ontario They're there as well. Uh, and they kind of deal with you know reaching out, the bigger population and then we also have in our own province we have something called bc adaptive snow sport so then there again a number of organizations on the provincial level and uh, these guys do a lot of background work right uh, just uh, promoting adaptive sports in general and then just in our region um you know we attend we attend events uh, like uh, recently i was at the a fundraiser for the loops Brain Injury Association, right? So that's a great way to just network to our um, to our families, and then we do some advertising in local uh, newspaper or online as well. And yeah, just try to be as present in the community as possible and making ourselves seen,
1: and then uh, yeah, that seems to do the trick. So, what are some of the most common adaptations done to? Uh equipment so that uh, someone with a disability can get involved in snow sport?
3: Yeah, um, so like your classic, like uh, your classic one would be like the four tracks. I don't know if you've seen that before or even a tree track. So um, basically, in simple term, they have extension in there that they're holding with their hands. And these extension have little skis at the bottom, so instead of having poles in your hand, you have these extensions, right? And then that would be, that would help you with your balance and everything, and you can lean on these when you turn and really uh, help you be balanced out there. Uh, when we have really beginners, we tend to tether them as well, so um, attaching slings to them and making sure um, you know, they'll go reasonable speed if they lose control right there next to them. Um, and then the other, my favorite adaptation, i got to be honest, it's, it's skiing, right? So I don't know if you've ever seen that before. No. Uh, but you're kind of sitting in a bucket, and then under, underneath you, you'd have either a, a bi-ski or a mono-ski. Uh, so either you have two skis, which is more beginner-friendly, or a one-ski, which is... You have more control and abilities with it, but then it's a bit uh, harder to control. Um, So that one's my favorite, right? So you'd be sitting in that bucket, and then you're just going down on this. You're all strapped up. It's super heavy. uh, And then you have the same extension in your hand, right? And then you're able to lean on the side and really, uh, you know lean your whole body on the side and lean on that extension while you're sitting in your bucket. And then you start doing S's like that, right? And then the be an instructor right behind you. Uh, if it's your first time, you're definitely being tethered on the green slope. Um, but, you know, if you're an expert, and you've been doing that for a while now, like, so one of the instructors um, is pretty awesome with it. I can send you a video if you want. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, he probably goes faster than me on his sit so it's pretty impressive to see.
1: So, in your time doing this work, what's been the greatest success you've experienced?
3: Yeah, so I joined I joined in a weird moment for, for, uh, with that to Sports at Sun Peak. So I joined last November, and uh, as you know, uh, last November, we're kind of in the midst of the pandemic, and... Um, So, personally, my greatest success was to keep the program running, even though there's this whole crazy thing happening with the pandemic. And, like, we managed to run our program, even though low capacity. We were still open, still having a presence. Um, So, that's definitely a success of mine. Uh, But I think on the general note, for the program itself, I think the biggest success is just community that's built around the whole program right so I said 129 members um, so that's about um, 60 volunteers and about 80 students that comes back year after year to help I think that's definitely the biggest success of ours is to be able to create a community and just um, yeah make them feel at home when they come and lesson make them feel comfortable and Yeah, I think that's definitely our biggest success, right? That's just, like, creating the whole community
1: aspect around our program. Like, thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. My friends, I always love hearing about sport adaptations for persons with disabilities. fact is, from them come some of the most creative innovative solutions you'll ever hope to hear of. And really, we don't go looking for an adaptation until someone speculates and says, this may in fact be possible. That's what an adaptable life really is, I think. The flexibility to be willing to accept that there's more than one solution to any given situation. The fact is... An athlete, especially one with an acquired disability, should by no means ever be told you have to stop your sport, you have to redefine the thing that you love in this world, simply because now there is one thing about you that has to adapt. If people had accepted that, there'd be no Paralympics, there'd be no athletes out there giving it their all. In some cases, yes, even improving their overall health by keeping active. Truth is, we have to think beyond the obvious in all facets of disability life. We have to be willing to look at the creative side of things. Usually, it's a lot less difficult than we give it credit for. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. Get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.